Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine. From the album Document by R.E.M. November 1987. Lots of truth here. The end of the world as we know it takes place every day. I don't mean the capital E end of the world, but our worldview, our opinions, our interactions with the world conclude at the end of every day and with every dawning of the sun, a new world to us is born. Our common reality isn't a fixed reality at all. Case in point, how was November 21st, 1963, a different reality for you than November 22nd, 1963, the day that President Kennedy was assassinated? Or how was September 10th, 2001, a very different world than was September 11th? Or even more recently, maybe still more emotionally, but probably less, much less long-lasting, how was your perception of the outcome of the Super Bowl affected by the last very short two minutes and two seconds of the game? At one point, it was almost certain one team would win, yet in the blink of an eye, the other team went home as victors. The end of the world, at least our perception of the world, happens every day, even sometimes minute by minute. And so we find ourselves in the fourth quarter of Lent, pardon the football analogy, and we hear a message of hope today. A message from Jeremiah that the days are coming soon when God is going to establish a new covenant with his people. A new covenant where the new law is based wholly on love, where sins are forgiven. And all shall know the Lord because to know love is to know God. Not exactly what we'd think that we'd hear at the end of Lent, but I'll take it. This new covenant is prophesied by Jeremiah to be coming along, to be on its way very soon, to put an end to the ways of the past, to the ways in which the people of God simply could, could not measure up to God's expectations, to put an end to the ways that the people of God have chosen to go their own way, to put an end to the us versus God world 
that has left people, even in our modern era, feeling lonely and distant from God, distant from one another, and cast into a society that sadly enforces an every-man-for-himself norm that exacerbates poverty, destroys the environment, and leaves all of us scratching our heads. How did we we make such a mess of it all? Fast forward about a thousand years. Jesus in Jerusalem with his disciples. And a cast of thousands are around him. Everyone wants to see Jesus because they've seen miracles happen in front of their very eyes. Now they want to see Jesus in person. But the Jesus we hear from today doesn't seem very keen on a face-to-face meeting with the crowd. We don't exactly know why, but we do hear from him a statement of teaching. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. To our ears, we think, well, okay, but why, Jesus, why now? Why why saying this now? But let's try to see what might be happening. The story tells us that some Greeks are the ones who want to see Jesus. Not religious people from the Jewish establishment, but Greeks. And in the Greek and Hellenistic world, life and death scenarios from the birth of any object to the death of any living thing took on all kinds of agrarian imagery. And so it was thought that seeds were planted and literally died. And out of their death rose new ground and new life that prospered and flourished. The Greeks looked at this type of cycle of life in both the plant kingdom and also the animal kingdom. There was no difference in this process in their eyes. They weren't modern-day biologists. This was their worldview. This is what they thought. So Jesus is ultimately teaching the crowd about the need to carry on his ministry after his death. This grain of wheat we hear in English in this story, grain, is the same word that the New Testament uses over and over for seed, like in that story of the mustard seed becoming the largest tree and flourishing and providing cool shade to all who need it. Or as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 about how we sow seeds to grow things, but God views us as seeds that he will restore to wholeness and newness of life. Ministry does not and cannot happen alone. Real life, life with God, doesn't happen alone for us either. Jesus is in the process of writing the law of love onto the hearts of his disciples and in turn, us, so that we can thrive, share love, so that we can also flourish. Let me clarify this a bit further. Today's readings 
are calling us to start putting away the things in our old lives right now. The ways in which we don't like ourselves, the way we have a bad self-image, the way we limit ourselves on who we're actually able to be. We're also called to put away that stuff from our religious selves that doesn't matter. Maybe an unhealthy attachment to guilt. Maybe a fear-based religion that can't even accommodate a law of love. Maybe we're called to put away a church that's based on self-importance and replace it with one that's honest, open, welcoming, heartfelt, and energized with a gift of life and a new portion of God's love. The days are surely coming. Jesus needs us to put away the stuff in our lives that's harming us. Jesus needs our church to put away the stuff that is diminishing our ability to proclaim Christ's love for all. Jesus needs those parts of us to die on the cross with him. Sounds harsh. But the fixtures and accompaniments in our lives that aren't of God, the reality of Jesus' call to us is to give that stuff to him and let that stuff die so that we can live. This is some of the most important work we can do in our lives, but it's also some of the most difficult and some of the most real. And if we do this stuff as individuals and also as a church, we will be able to truly walk in love as Christ loved us. No longer just being handheld by a God that takes us from Egypt to the promised land, but actually having full standing, having the knowledge, having the empowerment by God to fully embrace real life in a mature way, in the full image we've been created to be to face God and one another as our truest true selves and fully live. An old spiritual that I heard a long time ago repeats the refrain, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth living just because he lives. Because of Jesus, our hope continues. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, even at the end of Lent. Life's about to be born anew. It's the end of the world as we know it. Because we've put the guilt and shame and horror we've experienced onto Christ's cross for it to die. It's the end of the world as we know it. With every dawning of the sun, a new world with life in Christ 
to us is born. It's the end of the world as we know it because our old selves are being put away and our real selves emerge. And thanks be to God, either now or at some point in our reality, because of Jesus, you and I feel fine.